Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Squawker Talker podcast. My name is Jake Entwistle and I'm your host today as we look back on a week of club football. Today I'm joined by Chief Editor at Squawker, Will Hall. How are you, Will? Uh, very well, thank you. Good to be back. Comfortable with that microphone there? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Apologies for anything in the podcast. And also joining us is microphone wielder in chief, Mohammed Butt. How are you, Mo? Microphone fiend, back in action. Um, feeling good, feeling good. You know, a bit of football, you know, always good at the weekend. Long Plenty shi- to discuss. Plenty long, to long, discuss. long shift yesterday, so much to talk about. Club yeah. football ends, but we do have to reflect on it all. Yeah. And we'll start with perhaps what was meant to be the best game of the weekend, but perhaps <laughs> didn't deliver in itself. And we're going to look at standout stats from the Liverpool-Man City game. Um, and the number we're going to start with is three. Mm. which is the, the number of first half shots in the Premier League in, in this game. And it was the fewest in a Premier League first half this season. Not the uh, goal frenzy that many people expected. So why was that is my question to you guys. Um, yeah, yeah, so joint fewest, I think. There joint like fewest, Cardiff, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think both sides deserve a certain amount of criticism for the quality that was on show in the first half. Uh, and it, you could put a lot of that down to caginess, of course. Uh, second half got a little bit better. Um, but yeah, so Liverpool seemed to were making their mistakes uncharacteristically for this season at the back. Uh, there was a couple of penalties could have been given away um, in the first half. There was that Joe Gomez slice, which actually resulted in the first penalty shout. Uh, and Man City seemed to be making their uh, their mistakes also uncharacteristically in attack, just like sort of passes going astray as they try to break on Liverpool. Um and yeah, I think as Guardiola said after the game, um, it was it was his game plan to kind of spoil Liverpool a little bit, spoil Liverpool's attack, and then by extension spoil the game. So I think that's what we can really. I th- he, he said can put that if you give them any, if you play to give them chances, they'll murder you. I think yeah, he said, well, yeah, he said if you if you an open game with Liverpool, there's no you've got no chance of winning. Um, so which, you know, I mean, I think isn't necessarily true. <laughs> the, semi, the second semi-final against Roma was definitely a very open game yeah. um, last season. They uh, had that cushion yeah. though, didn't they, of already winning. And I think also, so those first five minutes, Liverpool looked like they were. it was going to be business as usual for them because they did start very, very brightly. Uh, and yeah, had, had they been able to like make slightly different decisions in the final third during those, those first few ways of attack, I think it could have been uh, a much different game. I think that was that game. What we saw was very much uh, Guardiola look, being cagey. Guardiola being afraid of a team. Like it's rare he's afraid of a side. Or often, you know, his teams have been strong enough to take on anyone and and really just do the business. But I think with with Liverpool, what we saw was he definitely knew that they could beat his Man City side and beat them quite badly uh, to the extent that you know it's not even nothing. Uh, points wise, because it's very early in the season. But I think psychologically, if you lose to Liverpool again. I think it would have been a huge blow for City, sort of in there. Because the thing with City is they don't really have a winning mentality and never have. That's why they've never even come close to retaining their league title. Guardiola's trying to instill that in them, uh, which he, he obviously, there was already there at Barcelona, but he, he brought it back and he did it at Bayern Munich as well to a degree that they haven't, Bayern now just dominate the Bundesliga ridiculously. Um, apart from this season. Oh, apart from, well, <laughs> yes, apart from this season. But, you know, that's not their fault, Jadon Sancho. And uh, Anyway, more on that later. Um, yeah. You look at what he's trying to do with City, and it's very—he knew very well that losing to Liverpool is, was much more harmful than not beating them. Obviously, you know you think City always go for the win, always play 
pragmatically and I mean I would play it sorry proactively and I mean really frankly with the referee if, if VAR had been in place the City would have won this game like 2 or 3 nil because they would have had like 3 or 4 penalties but Riyad Mahrez yeah. would have missed them all well no <laughs> no because Sergio Aguero was on the field for the first two shouts first so it would have been 2 but nil. he hasn't scored at Anfield in 10 games well that would have been his <laughs> I mean and you could see on the bench when, when Mahrez got set up you could see he was sitting there going oh he my knew. god that was my chance to not only First, first goal, first goal at Anfield, first win at Anfield. It would have been both for Aguero. Well, yeah, they, they haven't won there. So what you were saying there about yeah. obviously not losing to yeah. Liverpool is, was the key thing. They still haven't won there since two thousand and three. It's now eighteen games without beating Ke- Liverpool. Keegan is the only only City manager in the Premier League era to have won at Anfield. So this this is this is just not a ground where City go and do well, no matter who's in charge. And breaking that hoodoo was always going to be hard enough for Pep, but the fact that it's Klopp, the one manager whose style is so diametrically opposed to his own that it actually presents a real challenge, well, along with Simeone. Uh, these two guys, are, Klopp's always given Pep problems. Now, Pep usually, when he was buying, was buying Dortmund, he usually came out on top in the games that really mattered um, and, you know, lost the lost Super Cup stuff. I was, was going to say, there was a, there a, a final loss in there? Well, there was, a quality, there, there was a massive, massive... A gap in terms of the quality of the two teams. Dortmund, as good as they were on the clock, talent-wise, didn't have anything like what Dortmund Bayern were playing with. And now that the, the playing field is much more even, you're seeing what Klopp's tactical uh, edges over Guardiola. You know, with the with the, with the the results last season, which completely didn't reflect the season as a whole, but also almost came to sort of shape their understanding of City's achievement. It sort of belittled City's achievement, how, how easily Liverpool set them aside in the Champions League. It was like, oh, so a City really that good? City are that good? Does Liverpool have a tactical edge over them? And I think Pep really wanted to avoid something like that again this season. So you can tell he played pragmatically. I think it's also, sorry, it's as much as you can say that Guardiola showed uh, respect to Liverpool by how he set up his team. I think there was a, there was a bit of pragmatism there on, on Klopp's part. Uh, they, the fullbacks weren't pushing up anywhere near as highly as they usually do, and he played a, a, a centre back. Oh so yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that Joe Gomez is now a centre back. Yeah. I mean, that was always his natural position, but yeah, but he's he shown that deve- he, he was like yeah. developing on the right a bit. I thought and the obviously- Gomez. I thought the Gomez switch was very interesting from Klopp because I thought Alexander Arnold had Sane bottled up quite well like in the Champions League last season, so I can only assume he thought he knew that he would but play. There's also a reason that. That they were playing down that side, yeah, uh, yeah in the yeah. first place. Uh, no, I, 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 think, I think Alexander Arnold is. I think he was also cognizant of the fact that Mendy was probably going to play, and yeah. containing Mendy is very different that's to containing. I, yeah, not not the, the only person who uh, I know. That well, so I thought Mendy would come back, and then when I saw Gomez, <laughs> I actually, I thought rather than Alexander Arnold being dropped, which yeah. now. It's probably because he had a really important chess match the following day yeah. against one of the world's best. <laughs> Which he lost in fewer games than Bill Gates, apparently. Fewer oh, moves. Fewer well, yeah. moves. 17 moves. So Klopp should have played him. <laughs> but when Gomez was matched up, I thought Gomez is is uh, just bigger than Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, basically, isn't he? And, yeah. And, and, and Mendy is bigger than Sane. Although they offer the sort of the similar thing, I thought Alexander-Arnold could have got run over by Mendy at some point, whereas yeah, put Gomez there... Yeah, pretty like, much. It's I mean, like, wait, that's a, that's a bigger wall to try and run through. Um, but the one thing that I pick up on that is you saying that the, the playing field was le- le- is levelled out. Does that mean the fact that we do have this level playing field with Chelsea obviously capitalising and, and moving on to 20 points under Sarri as well, three unbeaten teams at the top of the Premier League, is this going to be one of the closest or, or most exciting title races because of this plateau of, of, of talent across... Maybe not six teams anymore, but last season Man City were really much better than everyone yeah. else. Has that been? I, I think so. I mean, City still. We have to remember they're missing their best player, so there is that. 
that's 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 that has to be has to be factored in. But yeah, I think City retaining the title always is always a much harder prospect than winning it. Um, so that's immediately going to knock City down anyway. And then you know missing De Bruyne for so long, that's also going to knock them down. Liverpool are better than they were last year, and Chelsea have got. Uh, they're in there, you know. Chelsea are like Don Draper from Mad Men. They hate the, they only love the beginning of things. So you know they've, they've got the new manager. He's, they're still happy with him, and they're really they're, they're bathing in the afterglow of that. So they're doing well right now, and so they're they're not sick of him yet. So they look really good. They've adapted much faster than I thought they would. Yeah. They haven't. I mean, and they are the big winners of the weekend because they won, and then they're, they're now joint top. Um, and I mean, look, you would say at some normally you would say, "Oh, Chelsea are going to fall off at some point." But the fact is, they're only going to get better the more time they play with Sad. Yeah, because so, he's going to his coaching will become more embedded in there. And so, I don't think Chelsea will fall away. I think they'll they'll stay the pace. I mean, I didn't think they'd be there because I thought I thought and we all thought I thought they'd struggle at the beginning yeah. and they'd take some time to get going and then they'd come good and then they got beaten beaten to bits in the in the community show. You're like, yeah, okay, this team is going to take a while to come together, but it's come together very quickly. Um, so I think yeah, Chelsea are going to be there. I, don't, I still, I'm still not sure about Liverpool's sustainability under Klopp, but I don't think they're. I think they've got enough squad depth now that they will at least sustain a challenge. I don't know if they'll still be right up there. I can see it coming down to City versus Chelsea purely because Chelsea only have the Europa League, and I don't, I don't think Sadie really cares about that. So it's really it's 38 games for them. But you know, the, the quick points on that on that Europa League is um, uh, Sarri's a. No- Frustratingly, played quite strong teams in these games so far, as have Arsenal, really, and 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 obviously Liverpool. put their their front three has played yeah. started every game when possible, uh, bar Firmino's eye injury that many had to come off the bench against PSG. So that I know a lot of the commentary during that Man City Liverpool game was that Liverpool's press did start well, but ha- perhaps waned quicker than usual. So, do you think that will be a telling point in this sort of? three horse title race uh yeah we, we've spoken about this a little bit before as well i think because there was i can't remember who the uh, uh twitter user was who posted it but there was someone looked into how yeah. uh, how liverpool's press has fallen off based on the fact that they've allowed teams to create like 80 percent of their passes in more games this season already than was the case i think last season i might be wrong i'm trying to remember that. yeah yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a, um the, the sign is there though. And yeah, and and to address the point you made that yeah, he's not really rotated much. I think uh, that is because um, the sign it, it's not really Klopp's style to integrate the signings like uh, so soon early on the season. If you look at Andy Robertson, he didn't come in until the sort of festive fixture uh, list uh, meant that rotation became like a necessity. Yeah. Uh, Oxley Chamberlain similarly started up playing on the wing. Was only really integrated into that midfield. Uh, later, uh, later on in the in the fixture list, um, so he, yeah, they're looking leggy uh, because he's had to play them in all those games. I think as the season wears on, uh, there will players be, will be yeah, there will a be, refresh, yeah, of it. and it'll I think it will get quite competitive. I think for spots, uh, in the same way it got competitive at left back, a bit too competitive for Moreno, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah. Um, but to address the point as to the title race more broadly, I think it's a result that increases the likelihood City will retain their title because it's, 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 it's an improvement on the number of points they managed to win Anfield yeah. last season. Um, it's only because of the late penalty miss that it feels like I mean, uh, Liverpool haven't dropped points and obviously because they're playing the reigning champions. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I still think City are going to going to win it. Um, yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. Just purely because as as for Chelsea, I think um, 
yeah, they're looking good. And uh, that few games will result in as many bonuses as that Southampton one as well, because we also saw Hazard continued his form. Kepra had a good game, but most importantly, Morata and Barkley yeah. uh, made positive contributions. And you would have to say that those are the two players who are lowest on confidence right now. And if he can like um, sort of boost their morale and make them very, very um, sort of, well, going, coming back to this idea of co- competition for yeah. places, if you can make them much more competitive players in a squad sense, then uh, their depth basically rivals Liverpool's already. Yeah. So, I'd I'd agree with that. And and the thing about that Morata goal is obviously most passes before a goal, mm. absolute. It was it was peak Sarri ball. Exactly, if you look yeah. at the pass map, it's yeah, this, now, this hub of players on the left. Yeah baiting people in as soon as there's a gap bang it happens and, and that'll three passes before a goal and that'll really cement the the sort of the sari progress and and players will feed off the fact that they've been able to pull off like a yeah. sort of trademark Sarri yeah there's move. now a tan- that, as yeah. everyone leapt to it didn't they straight exactly. away hold on sorry is this the moment that it was yeah. properly embedded in the team we've seen the first you could have you could have swapped Morata for Mertens, um, mm. Hazard for Insigne. Yeah, and, and how and, but how perfect was it that it was with Morata as well? Exactly. Because then this is going behind the scenes a little bit. But Mo, me and Mo were discussing his piece, and we were going to make a point out of our Morata misfiring. <laughs> then he scores the goal right at the end, and I mean, it's it, knows, it, it seems a bit fickle to say that, but that one moment is is like sort and, of and the, much more important than his overall display and arguably it, and it wasn't and it wasn't the fact that he scored a goal mm. it was the fact that he capped off the most oh, well, Sarri's called and, his favourite yeah. goal and another thing I think that's back to back goals now from right yeah. I think it's the first time he's done that at Chelsea so no no it's not since, since April it's, since April, it's okay. the first time but this is my right, point yeah. literally since the 1st of April 2018 was the last time he scored back in back to back games and what my point was going to be when I was I was originally writing the piece I was going to be like okay he scored against in the Europa League after missing a hatful of chances and it looked like he'd finally turned a corner. It was a very good goal that he scored as well and to give Chelsea the lead. And everyone was talking after, okay, this is the confidence, but it's the winning goal. It was a good goal. He came after all these misses and then he came on against against Southampton and you're thinking, oh, he's going to misfire again. And so that was going to be the crux of the point was going to be, oh, he's misfired. But instead he capped off the goal. It was a decent finish. Lovely and, finish. And, it was, and now it's like, oh, okay. Now, so now he has momentum. Now he has two goals in two games. That's the first time he's done that since April, obviously. Can he kick on from this? Because, of course, that's the one thing. He's always been a streaky kind of goal scorer anyway, even when he was um, at his best at Real Madrid. And, uh, you know, being a sub goal scorer, he had these consistent streaks of scoring goals and you know it was always like can he, can he hold it out for a whole season well maybe with Azard scoring so many goals with Giroud playing so well as a target man maybe he doesn't need to maybe he can now be using almost like a similar sort of backup role to the one he used in Real Madrid I mean backup is a bit harsh but use him when he's hot if he stops scoring goals you bring Giroud in you, and you can you make Hazard your you, you say you say player. Eden can you score some more goals for us now so I mean uh, yeah, Chelsea have options now and they have they have a phenomenal coach obviously and more importantly, they have a fantastic goalkeeper and a really good defence. And that's so important because one of the big problems Napoli always had was that they didn't have a good goalkeeper, they didn't have a good defence. I mean, they had ball-playing players back there. Oh, but Koulibaly, I well, think, I would actually say that the, quite, the biggest question mark over this Chelsea team is the defence. Oh, it's so. still the defence. But if you look at it, what, what's different is now is, is, is Rudiger and David Luiz are solid Azpilicueta is really really solid and it, there's more potential for a solid base he built there whereas with Napoli it was it was Koulibaly and then a bunch of other guys I mean Raul Albiol come on I love Raul yeah, Albiol but, but in this, in, so I think considering Chelsea defence in a defensive lens is almost misguided because then 
they're never going to be when they are exposed yeah. to do that it's going to be in really high it's, it's, risk situations it's team, it's team defending it's like, yeah. it's like no, no, it's the, but it's the, like the system defends yeah. no but that's so what I mean it's the ability to defend in those high risk situations yeah. one of the reasons Gerard Piquet's never got the plaudits that say Godin or Sergio Ramos has had is because Barcelona plays such absurdly high risk football this guy this is a tall defender with very little pace who's constantly playing 50 yards from his own goal so when he when he has to defend, it's in very hard situations. But the ability to defend in those situations is really valued. And I think that's where David Luiz is good at that. Rudiger's excellent at that. Yeah. And then Kepa is fantastic at one on ones. He's just a wonderful goalkeeper, better than anything he had at Napoli. And I think those those three guys, specifically Kepa, I would say more so than and Rudiger and, and David Luiz, are going to make a really big difference to Chelsea's defense because Saints could have scored a, couple, a few goals. They had like two or two really well, well, good chances. The thing is as well, one thing I'd say about that is they missed sitters. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, they could, you know, so this is, there's still work to be done for Chelsea, there's yeah. no doubt. But right now, things are going with them. And, and as they play more with Sally, they're going to get better and better. So. So, so to sort of end this point, um, if you were going to order them now, three at the end of the season, because at the moment it's Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool. That all difference. That, that's where I, that's where I'd say I wouldn't take. I mean, I think City. I think Liverpool will just the physical demand of the Klopp system will just prove too much in the end, and they'll sag off a little and bit. And they'll prioritise Champions League. I think Chelsea will yeah. run City close because they won't have any other priorities. And then City, I think, will win it. I think City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Will any disagreements? Uh, yeah, but I, I would say Manchester City will win uh, with Liverpool finishing runners up. Which will be disappointing for them, but will kind of represent progress in the and, sense that and it's, it's, a, it's the highest till couple have finished. Yeah. But I think you could probably easily persuade me that Chelsea would finish above. And as well, so one listener question that we did have based on Liverpool, so it seems the best time to just get this in now, was from at Hype Train Sam. And he said, <laughs> did Liverpool shoot themselves in the foot by not replacing Coutinho? Will that be the difference between second, third or even first? No, because I think... Uh, Oxley Chamberlain basically replaced Coutinho last season. Obviously, the, they didn't replace. It wasn't a like for like no. replacement, but the, there was changes made to the system. And Oxley Chamberlain uh, obviously sustained that 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 serious yeah. injury, and now he's at the team. So I think would have. Also, I think, would I think, have I, and it, also also like Naby Keita is is a, is yeah. a perfect replacement for Coutinho, uh, and Fabinho is is there to occupy another midfield position. I think they they did. Uh, I mean, they did replace Coutinho. Really, well, I, I mean, they, they yeah. tried to. Well, that, that well, was that's the question. Didn't they? Yeah. That was the thing. They they, they they very definitely looked for a creative, pass playing, goal scoring, dribbling number ten in Nabil Fekir. They tried to sign him. Didn't work. So they very clearly did try to target someone who was because obviously with 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 um with Fabinho. Kaita and 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 Fakir, what he wanted to do was basically just upgrade all three of his midfield positions with better players, and he can only, he can only do it with Fabinho and Kaita, and that he's yet to integrate those two. And I think, as Will pointed out earlier, once they do in around January December, that's going to be really because Naby Kaita's potential is frightening. Uh, he's not a, not like a picking the picking defenses apart passer, but with the way he moves with the ball and the way he just shifts it off so so intelligently, he's going to be very very special. Yeah, Fabinho. I'll- is addresses Liverpool's biggest, which is still their biggest weakness, is defensive midfield. He comes in once he's adapted. He's not adapted yet. Once he's adapted, that's going to fix so much of Liverpool's Liverpool's problem. I think that's why that's why I bet them to go find the cups because I think that when they get him in there, they will defend defend against like yeah. really the elite sides who can pass with the ball in the in behind your, your midfield. And I think that's going to be a game changer. I just think it might come a bit too late for them in the league. Okay. Then. Yeah, actually, I mean, that whole bit has actually made me <laughs> rethink my order. I, I, I do think Liverpool, I'd be quite confident that they'd finish above Chelsea. There we go. Especially if you look at their, their fixture list, they've just come out the other side. Yeah, that, I think that's I mean, being yeah, overlooked, yeah, is yeah, Liverpool's fixture list yeah. is... 
I said before that the, the late penalty would have made it a more positive result overall for Liverpool, but that as well, because their next games are like Cardiff, Red Star, mm. Belgrade and um, uh, Huddersfield. I think maybe they're playing Huddersfield Two of the bottom next, two, yeah. But yeah, basically the two worst teams And, in the and Chelsea's next game, obviously the unbeaten run under threat, is Man United. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they've played anyone... Um, Arsenal. I was going yeah, <laughs> to say with the, cav- with the caveat of Arsenal yeah. and, um, and Liverpool, obviously, the week yeah. before. Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like they've. But it feels like they've got they've that, got tough they've got their toughest tests in store, which namely would be like Man City and Liverpool away. It, exactly. So Man United are the next one, and Jose Mourinho is coming out of a incredible comeback that makes him Man United's or gives him the highest win percentage oh, that, um, as a Man United manager in history. Break has come at the worst time for Mourinho. Has it? So honestly. this is this is my point: is has that come at the worst time in the sense that because they did this comeback, or were the are the issue? Does it not paper? Does it simply paper over the cracks? Sorry, Look, I mean, in the, the sense that they were two 0 down to Newcastle, who had not scored two goals in a game this season. No, the, the, first the, time ever Man United had conceded two goals in the opening ten minutes of a Premier League game. Yeah, the, the comeback was ultimately rousing, fantastic, and really good to watch. Really exhilarating to watch. It was amazing to see Mourinho commit to attack. It was amazing to see United lay siege like they used to in the Ferguson mm-hmm. days, and it was amazing that it actually came off because they've done it before and it hasn't worked. Like Burnley lost uh, in 2016 17 comes to mind. But as you say, it's, it was great. But the thing is, momentum is a funny old thing in, in football. So, had the game been in three days, United might have just carried that winning feeling into it and ro- managed to sort of un- roll over Chelsea because Marina's very good at obviously, obviously at creating game plans to target specific def- uh, systems and nullify n- things. And like, now he's got two weeks to do it. Yeah, well, weeks weeks thing, say, yeah. Two weeks to do it, yes, and that's great to have two, two weeks, weeks to, to get plan. Herrera ready. Yeah. But two weeks, yeah, two weeks to tell Herrera, look, when Eden goes there, kick him. Um, <laughs> No, this, obviously he, ha- he has more time to plan now, but uh, you know, Mourinho's not Batman. It's not about planning time. It's The problem he's going to have is the momentum of the unity that the squad must be feeling after putting off that comeback win, the good the good vibes that Alexis Sanchez must be full of, and Pogba playing so well. All of that stuff is going to dissipate because they're going to go play with their clubs, and then, then they're going to come back in a different frame of mind to come back to Old Trafford without that same sort of momentum now of course look Mourinho will have two weeks to game plan and he could still pull it off because he's very good at game planning but I just think the momentum of it would have would have even with a, with a minimum game plan the momentum of that victory would have carried United over Chelsea or at least given them the chance to carry over Chelsea now also forgetting Sarri now has two weeks to sort of drill into his, his non-international but, but, so my point was going to be and I'll throw this to Will over is in terms of game planning you don't there's not a better team to plan against than the Maurizio Sarri side because I've not seen him do anything different. And that's not a criticism because the football is wonderful. But you know that they're going to overload one side, try and do it, play plenty of passes and, and, and pass you to death. So Mourinho can now develop a plan. What do we do to counter-attack that? Yeah, I, was, I, was, I think I was almost going to say earlier as well, the international break's not come at a very good time for Chelsea for the reasons I gave. That was like a, a game of many positives for them. Um, and for Man United, yes, I think... Uh, my, my view on it is that the positives do outweigh the negatives for that um, and it is uh, a result they can build on for, uh, because part of their identity uh, and given that a lot of the criticism levelled at Man United uh, or Jose Mourinho's Man United team is that they lack an identity uh, part of their identity is that they are sort of uh, uh, a team with, with high levels of spirit because they came back from two goals down it's First time I think Newcastle scored two goals, but but from Man United's point of view, 
uh, they did this twice last season against Crystal Palace, uh, against Manchester City. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think also they came from two goals down against Burnley but didn't win. Um, but that will like stir memories of that result against Manchester City where they basically delayed their coronation as Premier League champions. Um, and momentum is such an intangible thing, so it's really difficult to make a call on whether like the international break will stunt the momentum or if the, the taste... Uh, left by that win will just last a little bit longer. Um, I, I think he's still under pressure. He's not. He's not really created like completely dispelled the the poisonous atmosphere at that club at the moment. So the witch if, hunt. If, if anything, I think ahead of a really big make or break game, um, maybe not make or break, but it will definitely be one that Mourinho won't want. Oh, it's Chelsea lose, as well, Chelsea. isn't it? So ahead of that, yeah, it's probably a good thing for them all to get away from Old Trafford and clear their heads. A well, it's bit. not just Chelsea. This Chelsea, then it's Juventus. Yeah. So it, it's it's yeah. it's a big double header yeah. of games. It's uh, it's serious business, and you and uh, I think City are coming around the corner as well, if I recall mm. correctly. So it's this is this is this is crunch time now. This is when he could uh, I don't want to say save his United career, but he could basically earn himself the right to play out the season, or he could be like, oh, okay, Jose, you're gone by Christmas. So, I mean, in this is the, and I, the, the main reason why I think the international breaks come at a bad time is because ultimately, the comeback was great, but why would they need? Why did they need to come back in the first place? Why did they start know, the game like, so, so poorly? Why was Scott McTominay playing this game? Why was Ashley Young at right back? Ashley Young got done for the first two goals, and okay, yeah, once United went on the attack and Newcastle stopped stopped counter attacking, Ashley Young played well because he wasn't being asked to defend. When he was asked to defend twice in every ten minutes, he failed completely mm. in both times. And Scott McTominay, you know. He's, he's so, it was so, so funny for Jose Mourinho when, after the match when he dug out Rashford and McTominay first off because of course Jose Mourinho dug out the two young players and then secondly because literally the only person in, the, in probably the entire world that thinks jo- Scott McTominay should be starting for Man United is Jose Mourinho manager, so for, manager player of the year yeah so for him to then come out and be like oh he, he froze of course he froze he's rubbish he shouldn't be playing at this <laughs> level he should be playing in the championship it's, it's I think that's maybe just, too strong on him yeah but I also like, think I do, I, don't, I do not think he should be yeah. starting the criticism is valid of the fact that they should not be 2-0 down against Newcastle, but it's like it creates a, uh, a sense of relief and positivity that you just can't manufacture. So it's yeah, yeah. in a way, it's the perfect way to win the game. And also because it, it, it necessitated uh, like several changes by Mourinho and he seemed to get the changes right. Like yeah. his dropping Pogba back to centre-back. Well, yeah, like a quarterback role. Juan Matt was was. was Pretty pretty decent when he came. Well, Matter always facilitates great interplay when he comes on. The, the only problem they always have is where do you put him because he's not a right winger, so he can't. You know, he doesn't have pace. So you need to put him as a number ten. But then you've got to play Alexis as a number ten, and you've got to play Lingard as a number ten. It's like you've got three guys there compete for one spot. Where do you put Pogba and all of that? So, you know, centre back. Yeah, well, exactly. So you, I mean, Mourinho did say, didn't he, back in 2016 when United yeah. signed him, he could be a centre back, and I, I don't think that's going to be a permanent thing, obviously. But I think it. It's it's the, the interesting thing is I suppose the real gauge of whether or not this will be a commit uh, a actual turning point is whether or not you know, Mourinho commits to attack because the reason the comeback was so good and it worked and it felt so good was because Mourinho committed to attack he 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 made changes that were attacking but not just like throwing strikers on the field he actually had a plan behind it Pogba moved deeper Mata came on to facilitate the ball moving quickly to the middle of the pitch. And the ball always went went wide, went in. It was clearly an idea. The, the idea was to withdraw Lukaku as well. You know, so it was very intelligently yeah. done. The, 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 the thing with Pogba that is interesting, obviously there was people saying he, he didn't play centre-back and he arguably didn't. But what Mourinho has called out as defenders for not being able to do quite a lot recently, it seems more recently, um, more in recent weeks than usual, is that they can't play out from the back. 
And in the, in the post-match interview, he said, I moved Pogba there so that we could actually play out from the back. Yeah, and well, you saw him just... Which is strange because he's got Victor Lindelof, who was what, meant to be like the Swedish... This, 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 this is the thing, isn't it? See, this, is, this is where Mourinho is just so weird because Lindelof can fin- play out the back. He's a phenomenal passer of the ball. And even phenomenal in the way that Mourinho wants. Mourinho says play out the back. Mourinho doesn't want guys passing... Doesn't, doesn't want like... Um, like PK playing out the back, like or Ramos, triangles, you know. Like yeah, around he wants yeah. long passes. He wants he wants Toby Alderweireld basically. Yeah, he, that, that's what he's saying. And so that what's what's that's why when he put Pogba back there, Pogba wasn't playing short passes and facilitating. Well, he didn't he was to defend just, either. That yeah, was, well, yeah. no, exactly. He was whacking it long. And what makes it so interesting is, of course, the um, uh, you know Lindelof. If you look, if you ever watched Lindelof when he played for Benfica, this is what he did. He strolled. He pushed up into midfield first of all, but he also hit some. Spectacular long balls, diagonals, you know, either end of the pitch. And it's just really weird that Marino's like, I don't know my defenders compared to the back. Well, yeah, mate, the one you paid 30 million quid for can. You, well, just, you just got to give him some confidence. He's going to gonna unlock Lindelof's passing range by signing Grangfist, by the looks of it, <laughs> who, who has confirmed interest from Man United. Also, I think there's a bit of a. It's like his best attacking displays, as you've just said, kind of do tend to come when the like goes down as well. Yeah, well, where, where I think, he, I think when, 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 when the opposition is not attacking him, then there seems yeah. to be less at risk. Yeah, because uh, he, he's fundamentally a manager who's always just opposed risk and done, done everything he can to yeah, minimise exactly. the minimise the risk his teams yeah. face. So, so weirdly, what, weirdly suits him in a way. It does, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in, a, in an ideal world for Mourinho, he'd, he'd start each game by going two 0 down because then he could just commit to attack <laughs> and it'd be great. Um, those team talks yeah well no exactly specialist. half his team talk is done yeah. for him oh we're tuning it down to Blooming Burnley guys sort yourselves out and you know then you pile enough talent on the field in, in a sensible way put Pogba deeper and you bob your uncle but the problem is he's not going to play Pogba centre back against, against Chelsea is he well like, no that's, and that's, yeah, and also, that's, also like yeah. the, the the assist for was it Martial's? Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Back he broke forward. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. You need you need Pogba yeah, around need, the box for moments. It's start. like you need to play him yeah. really. It's like you just need you need three of them. So you yeah. want him in the front three, want him in the midfield three, or just yeah. It, the one the one thing I, the final thing I want to say on United is it it's just amazing. I've, obviously, I've, I'm very critical of Nemanja Matic, and everyone always gives me give me stick for it because it's like oh he's a great defender, midfielder, and look he's a great tackler. That doesn't mean he's a great defensive midfielder. He's a great interceptor. Doesn't mean he's a great defensive midfielder. If you watch the way he plays defensive midfield, he moves the ball so slowly. Yeah, that's not defense. This is the thing. No, no, I know, I know. But, but, but when he plays at the base of midfield, when he plays at the base of midfield, when, you know, when you play him with a passer as Chelsea did when they played with Ces, him with Cesc Fabregas, he plays very well because then. He he has to just tackle, intercept, and run forward. Yeah. And he's great at that. He's absolutely phenomenal at that. If United play him in a box-to-box role with, say, I don't know, Fred at the base of midfield, you know, the guy they paid 50 million quid for, he'd be really good. If you play him in his, as, as the base midfield, at the base of midfield, he's not that good, and United aren't that good as a result. So moving moving Pogba into the basically the key playmaker role at the base of things and moving Matic away from that role helped United with the comeback. I think if Mourinho takes one thing from this game, it has to be that. Moving on from Man United then and their potential clash with Chelsea next week, one team that keeps climbing up the table is Arsenal. Oh, yes. And they have won six games in a row in the Premier League, nine games overall, and it seems to be their attacking ability that is catching the eye, especially in that 5-1 win at Craven Cottage. They're going to be defending champions in that uh, the bruised banana kit next season. It's going to be great. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> just announced an Adidas deal. So Arsenal fans are feeling pretty good about everything at the moment. And and one of the reasons why is uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette are absolutely loving each other oh. and playing with each other. Um, both of them have been involved in the most goals in 2018. Uh, Aubameyang 
is ahead after coming off the bench and getting a goal and an assist despite not starting obviously um, is this Arsenal team can they be in that title race that's what people keep saying after they've won nines in a row or is it mm. or are they in a separate race of their own they are they are very much in a separate race they're in an Unai Emery race of their own they are great fun to watch absolutely spectacular they'll score some amazing goals probably some of the best goals you'll see all season the Aaron Ramsey goal was beautiful they're not going to win the league. They're not even going to come close. Their defence is so bad. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I think they've allowed the fourth most shot song on their goal uh, in the Premier League this season. Um, yeah, they're winning run right ten now. Ten fewer yeah. than Fulham. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like almost... I think it's over twice as many. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're, they're, it's 88 Arsenal's. Is. Their winning run is great, but it's also... They're not a great side. Like you saw in the Europa League. I don't know if, you, if anyone watched them play Carabao, but they were awful. And they won. They won 3-0. So everyone was like, oh, yeah. But they were not good. And they, you know, against, against Fulham for a long time, it was like, okay, which way is this game going? Who knows? And then... You know, he, he took off Iwe Obi. Um, shout out to the actual pronunciation. for providing the actual pronunciation of his name, Iwe Obi. But um, once he came off and Aubameyang came on, he had done so well tiring the, the opponent's eyes, like playing so well and playing so disciplined. It's almost cruel. You, oh, yeah, we're bringing on Aubameyang on now, mate. Get your skates on. And he just killed them. Suddenly, that injection of pace on the left was just too much for them to handle. Well, it was almost a 4 4 2. That's what everyone yeah. was. Ozil was missing, so it became sort of this. Yeah. This trendy inverted wingers four two two. I love Mesut Özil, but it's it's very much becoming apparent that Arsenal are moving. Arsenal's best. Arsenal play their best stuff when they're playing fast, dynamic football. So, which one counterpoint to that? And I saw a lot of people saying Arsenal looked much quicker in transition when Özil wasn't there. If you, I know he's not the same player, and it's it's it, it's looking further back in history. That's what Özil did at Real Madrid. Oh yeah, and he was good at it. So. I think it's wrong to sort of say he's not going to be able to. They're not going to play their good football when he's in well, it. Who knows that it. when they do it, it's just the fact that they can't play him, Ramsey, and Mkhitaryan. Yeah, it's, it's all of them. That's the thing. Is you, you, they have, they could still do it. Like you said, at Real Madrid, there was Cristiano, Di Maria, and Mesut uh, Özil behind Karim Benzema, right? So you have Lacazette, Benzema, very similar profiles in terms of being able to play. Uh, lead the line, hold up play, unselfish, unselfish, but also actually, like I said, even is way more clinical than Benzema. So, and then you've got you know Huja Di Maria, Aaron Ramsey, kind of a box to box rangy guy, not really a winger so, so to speak, but you know he runs. Or Mkhitaryan, yeah, runs, well. runs around like crazy. Mkhitaryan, not so much. I don't think as much as Ramsey. I think because you can't trust Mkhitaryan to maybe put in a shift like you can with Ramsey. And then Mesut Özil, and then Aubameyang is just. I mean, you look at him, you think, yeah, why didn't Real Madrid sign this guy? You know, he's for, in terms of Cristiano replacements. So. You know, you can see how... Because Arsenal had already signed him well, in January. Yes, yes obviously. I mean, <laughs> I'm about forward planning. I mean, he is a Real Madrid <laughs> fan, isn't he? He's a noted Real Madrid yeah. fan. Tried to, tried to injure him to them last year as well. But anyway, the point is, uh, he's. you can see how they could fit Mesut Ozil into this, but it would necess- necessitate a bit of a shift in formation, a bit of a... Uh, you, you couldn't play all. You can't play all the big guns, basically. At Arsenal, but but, you know. but is that just not depth now? Then do it Arsenal is, yeah. not have good depth? Yeah, it's funny that it's the Welbeck started as well. Yeah, it? in the so start, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily like. He's not bad. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, well, at the start of this, no, no, that's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, but what I'm saying is that at the start of the season, if you were telling me, yeah, seven games in and Welbeck's keeping Pierre Emerick Aubameyang out of the team, I'd probably be quite skeptical yeah. um, I don't think he's keeping him out I know but well because Aubameyang was ill I mean yeah that's in one, the week yeah, in the fine, week but that's yeah but he's started on other occasions yeah and, yeah. and he's he's got a good uh, goals per game ratio like yeah. I said I, th- so, I, think I mean it's... I mean yeah I kind of am I was overplaying it for yeah, a, yeah you a, were an effect, just, just then <laughs> and then you called me out yeah it. um but the point is that he's played himself back in 
back into sort of like the reckoning, if you will. They've got four. Um, they've got sort of four forwards on form. That exactly. Was, yeah. Quite difficult I, to say. I, I think with yeah. Iwe Obi and and, and, they all, like, and most of them have four goals as well. Yeah, yeah. everyone's <laughs> got four four fours and four goals in form. Yeah, four, well, this four is, it's a shame. Oh, they are fourth as well. <laughs> They're fourth. I, I think different. the thing is, if you look at what, what, what <laughs> how do you respond? The thing is, if you look at what 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 makes so Arsenal so Arsenal's attack so great. Right, and what makes them so much fun to watch is they're all kind of different. I mean, Iwobi and Welbeck are kind of the same sort of thing. Very uh, oh, not at all. Well, Iwobi's the only Iwobi's the, the only person in the Arsenal squad that can carry the ball. Yeah, at his well, feet. I mean, oh yeah. And I, you would not want Welbeck doing that. No, often. That, that's true. No, I meant in terms of being high energy, high press. They're kind of like. I mean, I, I think this is honestly. I think I, I joked about it earlier, but I do think that part of Emery's plan was okay. Look, you two, I want you to press and 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 go at Fulham and just basically exhaust them. And if we take, if we score and take the lead, that's great. But basically then his plan was to bring on a Bamiyang against a tired defence. Because, I mean, the thing is as well, if, you know, Fulham played three at the back and it really didn't work. And I mean, Iwobi was great carrying the ball into their, their final third all the time. It was majorly instrumental in creating that first goal for Lacazette. And I just think, you know, you look at the options. They've got these hardworking guys you can play and then they've got these absolute ballers in, in, uh, in Meza Ozil, who's a creative ball and then Aubameyang is ridiculous Lacazette is the, probably the only the mix yeah he's he's the one that, that does everything and I think what, what the, and then Ramsey obviously is kind of also a similar thing as a midfielder and I think what you have there is so many different options and then so many different flavours which is why Arsenal is so much fun to watch because uh, there's so many different mixtures of styles and, and tempos and everything. I think once they get them all rolling, Mkhitaryan's kind of weirdly the odd man out. Like, he's just sort of there. Like, he's the, it's weird to say, but he's the least exciting member of that attack, which sounds ridiculous, but, I know. But the but thing is, with Mkhitaryan, and, and I always think a similar thing, but you'd, so his involvement in that Ramsey goal was, he oh, just turned yeah, it around the, the corner the, straight. The it was a pass. I was, it was yeah, perfect. It was one of the most underrated things about the goal. Yeah. So he, he definitely has a role to play in. And Arsenal... So yeah, six wins on a row after losing the first two above us above Spurs. Sorry, on goal difference, Spurs, they... above Spurs, who have I think Sam was saying earlier recorded their yeah. best ever start. So that needs to be checked. Yeah, <laughs> that needs to be checked. But <laughs> Arsenal are doing but, very well. So Arsenal in the top four. Let, let's finish off yeah. on there on talking about. Oh, one thing about the Ramsey and Aubameyang that we should say is that was they made history in in becoming the first substitutes to both score and assist coming on the pitch yeah like I said it's, it's kind of cruel bringing on those two well, that, guys after, that, after that's cruel cool to everyone else but that's oh no no that's what Arsenal. teams would yeah oh, no, for what, Arsenal it's brilliant Arsenal it's have brilliant. never been able to do that being able to bring long, on well not never but t- haven't been able to do that in a long time talent like that off the bench against tiring opponents and especially Fulham who are just atrocious yeah. defensively anyway well they haven't like, kept a clean sheet yet have they like, but, wow. so Arsenal in the top four on goal difference albeit is that where they will stay it depends on if if Man United pick up pace, I guess. Man United, um, surely Spurs. Man or Spurs. United well, no. well, oh god, yes, yeah, Spurs. Eddie Howe's Bournemouth. I wonder what record-breaking Spurs. I was just established. I always forget about Spurs. I don't know why. Um, no, they're probably not there actually because Spurs will probably. But no, but then this is the thing. Arsenal actually. I mean, look, defensively they're they're a shambles, but they actually have depth. Spurs don't have depth. That's the over a league season. You'd think eventually that's going to catch up with them because how often can Harry Kane? Keep going. I mean, we saw Deli Ali and Christian Eriksen already you know, missed the bus on game through injury and stuff. So, yep. and, and they don't look anywhere near so, as good with those guys. So. so, top four Arsenal? Yes. Yeah, no. I'm gonna say yes. Will do you think? Uh, <laughs> I said um, I, I said would, Arsenal what, top one, four in my one, prediction. The one, the one thing I would say is that a positive Arsenal are, are a different proposition because you can see what the, the problem with Arsenal is they're streaky and when they go through bad patches, everything snowballs and gets worse. Um, so it depends how long they can sustain this positivity for. 
Uh, and I think, as we said previously, uh, they've not been playing well in these wins particularly. I mean, they've not been playing as well as you would expect of a side that's just recorded the number of wins they've made. Yeah. So... They're just so, open. So, so I mean, and but they're growing in confidence. So, like, the streak will start and they'll they'll actually step up into form and yeah. then just be yeah. able to prolong that rather than it being, like, yeah. how, how long... So, what you're saying is that they will challenge for the title. <laughs> Una Emery's teams always get I better. Think, I, think, I think aiming for a finish above Spurs is a nice little... I know it's it's the kind of thing that you'd get mocked as being, oh, a Tim Pot club. Like, yeah. you, where's your, your sort of saying... Uh, what's the saying... St. Totteringham's Day. Day. Yeah, St. Totteringham's Day. The famous Day trophy is being something that's kind of like a bit a bit amateur. Yeah. Aim for that. But I do think it's quite... In it a would, first it season. Would so, in, yeah, yeah, in Emery's first season. And Spurs have been a really consistent team in the Premier League uh, for so since Pochettino took over. Um, so it's, that, a, it's a good benchmark to aim so for. So that's a good... I don't think they'll do it. I don't... Oh. I, think, I just think Spurs are, are going to have positive, too much. I, see, I think they will do it because... Well, I just, basically, it would be less surprising yeah. now and that's... Yeah. that's, that's I think that's Emery's... That's the even better made. himself. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll leave that there because we've been <laughs> speaking about them for a long time. Come um, on, good on, I. Go on. Um, moving on from the Premier League, we're going to go over to La Liga. But before any discussion of the on-field matters regarding Real Madrid, um, it would be irresponsible of us not to acknowledge the allegations facing their former player, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, due to the fact he was recently transferred to Juventus. Um, we're, of course, referring to the allegation of raping a US woman in 2009. German news outlet Der Spiegel, who first published the claims over a week ago, and the woman's legal representative say they have documents supporting her claims... Las Vegas police confirmed an investigation has been reopened, while the player himself firmly denied the accusations last Tuesday. Um, Ronaldo's sponsors Nike said later in the week they're deeply concerned by the disturbing allegations and will continue to closely monitor the situation. Ronaldo has since been left out of Portugal's squad, but played and scored at the weekend for Juventus, who had previously reaffirmed their support for him in a midweek statement. Um, we also think it would be irresponsible to speculate or offer opinions on this story so following that overview of Ronaldo's situation we're going to talk about the on-pitch stuff Ronaldo's left Real Madrid can't score anymore it's been 409 minutes without a goal that's four games and this is only the third time in the club's history that they've failed to do so um, Benzema has had two shots on target in his last five La Liga games uh, Spain scored in every game they had under Julian Lopetegui. So what, what has happened to Real Madrid? Well, I mean, it probably, hopefully has nothing to do with the fact that I wrote an article saying Benzema was going to do away in ruin, explode in goal scoring this season. So sorry about that, Benzema fans. No, look, it's the simple fact is two things, two major things. One thing is, obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo left and he was a great goal scorer. And he was... Uh, what, they, what they had, Real Madrid set up, right, last season, for the last two and a half seasons under Zidane was they had... They had Two forwards, in their best team, they had two forwards who were essentially creative players. Benzema and Isco, right? They were the, they, they, they scored goals as well, but they were creative primarily. And they had a third goal scorer who was a fast wing forward who scored goals. That was Cristiano. Um, now, what they've, what they've had is they, they, they've got Isco and Benzema, two, uh, you know, not very quick, but very great creative players can go score goals, etc. And they don't have the third guy. So what what... And Isco's been injured as well lately, so to compensate for that, what he tried to do is he tried to bring in wingers, tried to use Asensio at times, and then bail. But the thing is, Asensio is very, very, very good, but he's still young and unreli- and not a reliable goal scorer because he's a winger. 
Bale is 28 and for some reason still not a reliable goal scorer. He, had, well, he, he had, started the season really well. He had a streak, but no, but this is the thing with Bale. He, he's a streaky he's a streaky goal scorer. He, you know, it was like, can he do it for an entire season? No, is the answer, basically, over a league season. He's very streaky and in, 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 in patches, he will carry you, like, even as good as Cristiano did, as good as anyone could do. But he does it in, he does it in streaks. Sometimes he just doesn't play very well and that's what's happening right now. And then but Benzema. That, but that was always that was your argument a lot of the times last season with Ronaldo's start to the season. Yeah, but the so thing is, when he didn't score, they managed to score. So what? It's is, the it's the his very presence. That's the thing. It's that even if he was playing terribly, and he, he played terribly for a lot of a lot of last a lot of the first half of last season, him being there means okay. There's two guys marking him. There's no two guys marking Gareth Bale or two guys marking Marco Asensio. There's no attention being paid to him. He doesn't create space just by existing and making forward runs because no one respects anyone else at Real Madrid as a goal-scoring presence because they've not proven that they deserve to be treated that way, whereas he obviously did, and that's why he got a lot of treatment, and that opened up avenues and channels for other people. Plus, the other thing, the main thing is, Lopetegui is not Zinedine Zidane. Zinedine Zidane was a great motivator of players, and Real Madrid have, by and large, an old first team. Their first eleven is... Full of players who are 30 or approaching it. Part of the reason why Zidane left when he did was because he knew there was a big renovation coming, needed to happen, and Florentino Perez probably wasn't going to pay for it. He wasn't going to... They should have signed a striker this summer, right? Why didn't they sign a striker? Mariano. I mean, come on. Everyone loves Mariano, but you talk about streaky goal scorers. This kid is streaky as hell. You know, Mauro Icardi was on the market. You know, could have been gotten. Lewandowski, okay, fine. That's kind of a sideways move, and he's 30. But Mauro Icardi has been begging for a move to a big club a consistent goal scorer would have been perfect for Real Madrid big big presence as a, as a personality would have been a good player uh, you know that's just one example there are play- Real Madrid needed a striker to replace Cristiano's goals because the idea that everyone else was going to step up when everyone else is uh, there's no other real goal scorers there they're all kind of inconsistent creative players who have been who have spent the last 10 years playing selflessly to facilitate Cristiano's goal scoring. So now that he's not there, they're finding it a little bit hard to adjust to life without him. Not not, not, not in the sense that they can't play with that. And they're very intelligent players. And when, when they're on, they're on. Like when Benzema was playing well and in good form, Madrid looked wonderful. And they, they, they looked really nice. They, that, that win against Roma was sensational. They were really good. But the problem is Benzema himself is streaky. He's inconsistent. He's prone to fitness issues. When that strikes, he's going to dip. And when he dips now, if he's not there scoring goals, then Madrid don't have a consistent target scoring goals. And that's going to be, that's their problem. It's just, how do you fix it? I mean, the, the, you bring Isco back in for about, one. The thing but, is about scoring goals, yeah. is, and you're saying creative players, uh, in the game against Alaves, the the like expected goals figures against like a deep block, and obviously Real Madrid had a lot of the ball, was they didn't they shouldn't have even scored a goal really? Alaves yeah. created one chance and it was much better than anything. Yeah, well, the, Real this is the thing, isn't it? It's it's it started off as just they were creating chances and missing them, right? That's that was the first stage of the of the of the decay, right? It's like oh we're creating, well, it's okay, we're still creating chances, it's okay, it's okay, and now it's just gotten to the point where they've just they've started sack. I mean, part of it is Isco isn't playing. You have to remember that Isco's not there and he's a massive figure for Real Madrid in the final third, and especially now Cristiano is gone, but it's. The main, one of the other main things you have to mention as well is that Real Madrid under Zinedine Zidane scored a lot of their goals, created a lot of their chances through full-back crosses. 
And the dominance of Marcelo and Carvajal were very important. They're both suffering with injuries and age. They're not as dominant as they were. That affects Real Madrid. Uh, Lopetegui plays a different kind of football and they haven't fully adapted to that. That affects Real Madrid. Isco's not there. That affects Real Madrid. All these different factors are combining. And now, they, like you said, they're just not even creating good chances. They're, they're struggling. They look, I mean, Benzema went off. Bell went off. Both of them have sensitivity with injuries. You know, they look like a side des- in desperate need of someone to stand up and be counted in the front. So whether that, whether that comes with Isco's return or not, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've suggested that Real Madrid need to just gut that entire midfield and bring in the young, the amazing, talented young players they have and bring them None through. of those are goal scorers. Um, no, no, I know. But the, the fact is, uh, part of it is the reason why I think Zinedine Zidane was so keen to leave is because the team was built around Cristiano's goal scoring. And even the midfield, as talented as it is, was built around providing chances for him. And I think it's now a decaying husk of a side that doesn't really have a focal point anymore. I think if you take them out and you bring in uh, Marcos Llorente, you bring in Dennis Abbas as a permanent fixture and you limit the, the veterans. And you drop the best midfielder in the world. I mean, no, no. That, he's the one I would, uh, I would keep in. But the other two, I would, you know, rotate them all. You've got three very talented players. They've all got very talented skills. It's not that they're bad players. It's that they, they are used to functioning in a system that is no longer there, basically. So I would take them out uh, and just bring the young players through and do what Lopetegui really, I, I can only imagine, was hired to do is make, make use of this amazing crop of young Spanish talent that Real Madrid have at their disposal and bring them through because he did it excellently with them 21 in Spain, was doing it excellently with the with Spanish Spain, national yeah. side. Yeah, it's it's, it's so, what he does. Will, to just... Mo's <laughs> been speaking, now I'm going to get you to do the final verdict on it. Is Do you think that Real Madrid will keep that faith with Lopetegui? Uh, based oh. on based on what's been discussed and the, the it's apparent interesting. Vig- I mean, it's the, interesting the, that it even is being discussed. I, I saw Sergio Ramos came out and said uh, sacking him now would be crazy. Mm. Uh, but the fact that you even sort of made to answer those questions isn't a good sign. Um, that's what comes with the Real Madrid. I would it? I would say keep faith with him because Real Madrid didn't exactly start last season very strongly. Yeah. It does seem that this pattern of just com- repeatedly winning the Champions League. Uh, maybe results in a bit of a hangover. That's what Tony Cruz said yeah. in, on, on on Twitter today. He said we've been here, we've been here just last season, so don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, yeah. So, so, we, so, so basically, yeah. Final verdict because no time is of the essence. Yeah. Um, is that yeah? I, I love to you keep it. If, if for no other reason than the fact that they have so many like exciting young Spanish talent there, and yeah. Lopetegui's got a really good record at working with players of of, of those. Um, of, of, of that age and that nationality yeah. they they can't surely they can't Real Madrid can't risk derailing Spain's entire World Cup and then just binning <laughs> off the person that they nicked to do it after, oh Real Madrid if, and also if he does get sacked that would go down as one of the worst decisions a coach has ever made in oh, the history yeah. of he, football he's, deciding he's, to like accept that job on the he, well, that's what he, he was he unbeaten as Spain manager and, and then scored in every the, single game the outcome being that he gets eight games at Real Madrid yeah. and then I mean if he gets sacked it's it's he he could have won the World Cup legitimately. Yeah, they could, have, yeah. could have won the World could have won the World Cup, and then you know what as well. Then it's interesting. Then he would have come to Real Madrid because he still would have taken the job. I think come to Real Madrid with a whole kind yeah, of different diff- aura, whole different energy, and then every then suddenly everything. Anyway, yeah. yeah basically, one, one question that again another question I want to lean on that fits in well with this is we had yeah. a listener question from um, Mr. Walker Porter, I believe his oh. full name is, despite changing the at, um, and he said, "What is wrong with Barcelona?" Because similarly, Real Madrid, perhaps Real Madrid suffering so much is is turning people heads away from Barcelona, who are now, despite Real Madrid not scoring in four, Barcelona are are, are winless in in four La Liga games. I, I, yeah. I think it is now. So, so 
So should Valverde be it's, as worried as, as Lopetegui? And just like a quick overview of what is the main issue yeah, now the, at Barcelona. The main issue, I think, is funnily enough, kind of similar to, to Real Madrid's, is that their striker's no good. Luis Suarez has aged horribly and, and Ernesto Valverde sticks with him religiously, even though sometimes he's brilliant like, against Spurs, but sometimes his limitations are all too clear. He can't run in behind defenders. He can't outstrip anyone for pace, which he used to do anymore. And that's a problem. And I think Ernesto Valverde also... The main thing, I said this on the podcast last year, Ernesto Valverde by nature is a pragmatic coach. And what, why he was so good for Barcelona last year was because Barcelona had a very big talent deficiency and needed a pragmatic coach to sort of eke out victories. And he did, and he did so well as Barcelona coach last year that he's now grossly unqualified to manage Barcelona this year because now Barcelona have Coutinho, they have Ousman Dembele, they have Malcolm, they have this amazing amount of talent, they have Arthur in midfield, and, and he's not using them. He's not using them in any way, any way that's whichever one. He's sticking to this sort of weird, pragmatic worldview and it's just, it's not maximising talent. He brought Arthur in finally after a long time. And Arthur's revolutionised them to feel made them look really good again. The, the problem is pragmatism, basically. Ernesto Valverde doesn't take risks at all when there are risks to be taken. Last last night against Valencia, that that loss, the draw, sorry. Drawing at the Mestalla is creditable. You know, it could have gone a lot worse than that for Barcelona. But they should have won that game on the basis of... They, the game was there last 30 minutes... Valencia were tiring, Barca were tiring. If he'd brought on Usman Dembele, or if he'd put Malcolm in the squad and brought him on, or brought on Arturo Vidal for the likes of Rakitic or Suarez, who were exhausted, there was those players are capable of moments that would have won them a game. And because he didn't make the changes until the eighty-third minute, it just they just petered out, and it's just they just they just look like he just he relies on Suarez too much, and it, and that and his pragmatism are just killing Barcelona's attack. So what I hear from that is that. They shouldn't have loaned out Paco Alcacer, who scored six goals in 81 minutes in the Bundesliga. I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, pretty much. <laughs> no, that was just a way to quickly mention that unreal scoring rate. And obviously a hat-trick to win a game in the uh, Goetze derby uh, at the weekend was incredible. But we can't dwell on Dortmund too long because we want to talk about one main thing in sort of looking ahead now rather than covering all of those games. And in the score scout section that we're, that we're probably going to have to finish with here... Uh, we need to talk about England, I feel, because that was a new contract for Gareth Southgate. Three uncapped players called up, as well as some returning <clears throat> names that are, are just as exciting. Um, and Luke Bennett, 95, asked, will these three get minutes? And obviously those three players are Jaden Sancho, who is the assist version of Alcacer for <laughs> Dortmund in, in the Bundesliga. Mason Mount, uh, first championship player called up since Zaha, outfield player at least. And James Madison, who's been brilliant for Leicester and is the most fouled player in the Premier League. So quick overview of those three. Uh, we'll go with Jaden Sancho first, as I know he was mentioned earlier in, in the reason why Bayern were so bad yeah. somehow. <laughs> um, going with Luke's main question, will they get minutes? How many will they get? And who is the most likely of these three to stay in the England squad longer? I think in terms of staying in the squad, Madison, I think because um, we've been we've discussed this on a previous podcast, you got me on the hype train for that. But <laughs> I think in terms of impact in this window, I think it's got to be Sancho, hasn't it? He's in such great form. I don't, he won't start, obviously, but he'll come off the bench, which is exactly what he's been doing for Dortmund. And his ability to diagnose games on the, off the bench are very good. If, England, if he comes off the bench with England leading or in any way, such a form, in any way shape or form where the game is open to a degree or there's, a, there's any sort of space for him to run into I think he'll thrive although frankly in the Champions League his assist against um, Monaco. Monaco was so real deft and clever 
Look, I think Sancho will get the most minutes. I think Sancho has the most potential to immediately become part of the squad because he's just such a game breaker. You don't have to start him. You just take him, bring him off the bench, and he's a game changer. So I think he'll do very well. Mount, I think, is a longer, slower burn. He's in the championship. It's going to take a while. He's got a good reward for his call-ups. But I think he'll, he may play a few minutes here and there. Mount's the one that's... He's trained with the he trained with the first team before the World yeah, Cup. Yeah. Obviously, he wasn't going to get called up, but yeah. Southgate's obviously kept an eye on him, and he he's the most creative. He's created the most chances in the championship this season. So, he nineteen years old, Gareth Southgate felt it necessary to to give him a chance. I know there's been injuries as well, but does he have a realistic chance to Croatia and Spain are the fixtures correct? Mm. Yeah. If you play good against them, then there's no reason you're not going to be in the squad. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's that. It's Will's not as basically, excited as everyone else. No, I am. <laughs> I am excited, but it is just very, very tricky to get your head around how how this uh, international break is going to play out. Which is obviously what makes it more exciting. Yeah. Um, because that number ten spot is kind of up for grabs. Um, you would think Deli Ali should have enough to kind of really make it his own, being that link man between attack and the, and the forward line. But um, as we saw at the World Cup, he wasn't in the best of form, and mm. that's kind of carried on into the season. Although we have seen glimpses, and there's obviously the injury is, injuries, yeah, yeah um, not helped him. Um, so maybe you'll get a, to see a few players audition in, in the in the, in the midfield three at the, the sort as the most advanced person. James Madison, as Mo said, would appear to be the most likely candidate to get minutes, but uh, he's not he's not spent a lot of time in the England youth setup. No, uh, he's only had seven appearances under twenty ones, all of which I think came uh, really from two thousand seventeen. So Southgate's probably going to know less about him than. Yeah, than a couple, and, than a couple and, of the other players, perhaps. And this is um, the thing with with England, is that so they bought in Mount and Madison, who can play as like an eight slash ten in this yeah. in this three five two. Yeah. Do you think there's any potential that Southgate might try another formation, or or that may have been built solely for the World Cup? Well, no, based on the fact that the centre back depth is really great. I think he said, hasn't he? This is the system. This is the way we play. Yeah. We can't change it because. And I agree with him because it's like if you keep changing, then you're never going to settle. Part of the reason why it's going to be now easy for him to bring players into this England team is because they all know the system and the existing players know the system. So it will become, it'll become easier as he has players like Mason Mount and so on and so forth training with the squad. It'll become easier to just sort of phase people in because they'll know the system is this. This is how we play. You can fit into this position. That's how you play. Yeah. And, it, and that, that's what Arsenal always did so well in the in the League Cup over a decade ago when they had all the young players come in and play amazing football. And it was like, this is the greatest youngsters ever. It was like, no, well, they're not. It's just they've got a consistent way of playing and they understand the system. You're telling me Jeremy Alliallier wasn't one of the best strikers of his generation I mean, and it was all to do with system. I mean, yeah. Nice. And, and, and I just think that's that's what's so good and that's what's obviously, they, obviously they were, uh, when Barca were at their best, that's what enabled them to be so good is that you have a system of play. I think Southgate is looking to emulate that, not in the sense of, oh, Barcelona play 43 we should play 43 and blah 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 blah. he's doing it his own way and in a way that suits England players and the best players England have and that's why he, I'm, I'm so impressed with Southgate because he's he's doing something that's very ambitious but he's doing it his own way and, and I think what we have here I, I just I can't wait to watch Madison if I really hope he plays Madison and, and Delhi next as we've discussed in previous pods ad nauseum Lingard and Dele together doesn't work really because they're both too similar. I think if you put one of them with with a playmaker like Madison, it becomes much more. Yeah, he, but uh, then, so is that Delhi moving into the Lingard role and then that Madison playing there? Yeah. So I was going to say this: so this system sort of plays into seems to play into Jaden Sancho's hands a bit more than anyone because he's a player who I think you said last week can play number ten, but yeah. is is. Uh, 
is, is playing on the wing for Dortmund often. So, um, so, so he goes where Sterling has been. And yeah, I think but do you think? Because I would so like, I would this, rather yeah. see Sterling and Kane just as the sort of absolute no, like just oh, guaranteed starters, so and then I mean, build around them. So my main point about the question about the formation was, Jaden Sancho has only got one position he can play in that, and that is Raheem with Sterling. Kane. Yeah, uh, and and the way that England have used Sterling is very much the opposite to an on the ball. It's it's will give you the ball, win a foul, or run the channel for us. Mm. So that to me is is you're not going to chuck Jaden Sancho in t- t- to do that because Rashford is there as a as a young player that is a better forward, like a channel runner and, and striker. Whereas this is where Jaden Sancho doesn't really fit anywhere else. So there might be a return to a four two three one because you've brought in Chalobah Winks who can sit at the base. If you were trying a complete new side, you could have Chalobah Winks. And then either either Mount or Madison or both, if you were going to just play a completely yeah. new side, and then you have Sterling and, and Sancho as your wingers, and then Kane. What I think is well worth saying is that I think they're both teenagers, Sancho and, and Mount. So yeah. who knows where they're going to end up? Like when he was a teenager, Jordan Henderson was a winger. Yeah, uh, Kevin De Bruyne was playing on the wing not too long yeah. ago, and they're both central midfielders now. Of course. So it's very difficult to kind of, and I know we were going to come on to like, oh, so how do you see this factoring yeah. in at the Euros? I mean, it's very difficult to gauge because maybe you've got a midfield three of or three of them. Yeah. Well, um, Sancho's development would be extremely quick if he then became the sort of number 10 that yeah, plays as a number I think eight. As but, well, the issue with the question is that 2020 always feels like ages away. Yeah. But it's, it's really close, yeah. yeah. But this is the thing, and, and again, then obviously Lewis Dunk as well has got a call up, yeah. which was really interesting because I feel, I personally feel centre back, England are, are sorted there, and I think this should be now. Yeah, but we, I mean, I think but we did have time. we had Walker playing there at the World Cup, and how so, great how great would it be if we just corrected the um, right back issue? I mean, Ashley Young played well, and he was very good, um, very useful as a yeah, sorry, but um, the left back issue very useful for set pieces, but. Um, so this is so my 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 other sort of suggestion would be Gomez Maguire Stones looks like a pretty good yeah. centre back trio for a long time as well. Obviously Dunk can can come in and, sh- and and prove what he's good at and does for Brighton. Why not put Carl Walker back at right wing back because he said he doesn't really like playing the centre back role. You add pace there, mm. uh, and one thing with Trippier is. Again, set pieces. Wow, that was a major part of England's World Cup. But he could never. He didn't really overlap. And and maybe if maybe if Carl Walker's in the team and overlaps, Sterling becomes freer. I, I think if you lose, you're losing Ashley Young set pieces. You have to keep Trippier set pieces. I think. I mean, for but me, Madison is takes every set piece for Leicester. Is he? Is he? Is he the Bernie Beckham though? Well, well he's the not. Bernie, but the Bernie but, Beckham. Even, sorry. I'm saying is you. You don't. As long as there's a set piece taker and Rashford likes. And Rashford likes corners. I know Trippier's was good at corners, but yeah, fair enough. But he takes them and he gets. Yeah. The thing is, as long as you've got that player, why not try? Yeah. If you've got Luke Shaw and, and Carl Walker as your wing backs, that's although it's the same. I system, mean, yeah, it's just, it's just generally more exciting on paper as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, as harsh as that is on probably our best player. At the yeah, <laughs> and that's what I mean. It's, um, it was a function of that that particular team yeah. that it was geared towards. But also, but the thing is, delivery. though, if you, if you then, I know what you're saying about you don't necessarily need that set piece taker to be. Trippier but if your set pieces become less effective and you tamper with that you're actually making Sterling less effective 
because as you said a minute ago his role is kind of to win fouls but then the, the opposite of that is that the idea is that his role is tweaked slightly because he has someone that frees up more space are you Carl trying Walker... to suggest we try and score from open play Joe yeah <laughs> that was maybe the dream I think that I, might I, be a bit, I, I, bit too radical I, I, I would love to see Jaden Sancho play that number 10 role because he wouldn't play it the same way Sterling would he would be more and actually I think in a, in a way I think he'd almost be a better fit for it right now um because Kane is actually playing, he's back to some sort of form now as a human being, as opposed to whatever the hell he was at the last stages of the World Cup. And I think, uh, you know, I mean, uh, he's back in the back in the business. I th- I'd like to see Sancho come on, not again, not start the not start that Sterling's role, but I'd like to see Sancho come off the bench and just sort of like just try and feed little passes into Kane. I'd like to see him try and do that the way he the way he does. I'd like to see him come on the bench and sort of break wide a little bit from that position and as 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 Delhi bombs into the box with Madison, maybe Madison can feed the ball out wide to Sancho, Sancho can cross it in and maybe Delhi can actually resume his job of running running beyond the beyond the passer, beyond the ball and scoring goals. Also I like I really want to see at some point Rashford and Sancho up front together. I just think that would be really fun to watch. Lots of pace. Again, this is the thing of, is like where does if, if we're saying does Kane I, I'd quite like to see England play without Kane for one game yeah well. I, I think yeah, it's I think it's, too, actually. Just it's, to it's, see. it's it's unlikely it'll happen in because the, these two games are competitive and uh, both of the, both of the opponents are. I mean, Croatia aren't in the best form, obviously, but they're both still pretty good. So, and England will have a squat set against Croatia anyway. So, uh, I don't think it will be this game. But I mean, to be fair, without Mandzukic, Croatia are eminently beatable. So, so, it, so again, more theory crafting quickly, and this is quite a good topic. So, I'm not going to quell it just yet. Mm-hmm. Is if if we're keeping a three-five or a three. Yeah. I think the three is the key bit and the wing backs are the mm, key. When yeah. Gareth Southgate says he doesn't want to change the system, that's what he means, right. I yeah. think. Yeah. So what if you then bring in the two players that were perhaps missing from the World Cup? And again, I'm not saying they're the best players in the world at this at the moment, but you have just Chalobah and Winks. Yeah. And it turns into a three, three, four, three. Four, three. Two, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you put Chalobah and Winks there as like, okay, they're not progressive, but they're going to keep, they know exactly how to keep the ball that's what they're sort of built for and what England were lacking, maybe. They'll recycle possession, um, yeah. And then that's where you then are able to get Sancho and Sterling, Rashford and Sterling and Kane in yeah. a, and Delhi, And they can all play in a... That'd... Similar to what Spurs used to do. I know they've tweaked it themselves, but is that is that another way to that's, to use the, the, that's the talent pool? That's, and that would also then make more sense to have Carl Walker instead of Trippier because then the, the wide players do provide a lot of the thrust. I think that could work. That could be very interesting to watch. I think... Um, you know, there's what's interesting is it, like you say, it depends on what Southwick considers to be the system. Yeah. Is, it, is it street five two, or is it just the fact that you have three and then you have your fullbacks as wingbacks? I mean, what, yeah, there's ways of like replicating systems with yeah. slightly tweaked formations. I mean, because well. I'm not sure they're necessarily well, interchangeable well, terms. The, like the one, the one that he, um, the, the one that we played at the World Cup, the England, England three five two at the World Cup really needs a better player at the base of midfield than Jordan Henderson in terms of playing at the base of midfield Henderson's fantastic and was really good at the World Cup but he has his limitations were exposed against Croatia and that will continue going forward against good teams so you put someone like Winks or Chalobah who are both in the squad and then you have Madison and then either Delhi or Jesse Lingard or whoever um, in, in midfield as a trio I really would like, and I know obviously experimentation and everything I'd love to see that three get a go in, in the World Cup system but with actual players that suit the roles yeah. a bit better. The thing about Chalobah is he's played like four minutes. Well, I mean, this is <clears throat> Winks is the guy because yeah. I think if you look yeah, at the, yeah, the, sorry. You look at the Barcelona saying. game uh, when Spurs were getting absolutely diced and he, he didn't play well, Winks. But what I thought was really interesting, more so than I think anyone bar Harry Kane, Harry Winks really sort of dragged Spurs back into that. He really stepped up his game, uh, really went after the Barcelona first, started winning tackles, started getting stuck in. 
while while still playing very sensible passing football, like he didn't like suddenly become Gerard spraying fifty yard passes. He was still playing his game, but he upped his intensity. So that I think is a very good sign because he hasn't played that much football either, frankly. So yeah, Winks, Winks, I think because Chalaba, I think will need a bit more time to be eased back into things. But I think Winks will be. I think Chalaba's just been picked because I think he has. I think. I'd, like you said with Mount, I think Southgate has Chalobah in mind for the future. Oh, Chalobah! Yeah, if you, I think he's like the second most appearances under twenty. And, and I think and so. I think it's like okay, with let's Milner. let's get him in. Let's and we get can't him get Milner because he's retired. Yeah. Let, let's get him rehabilitated. Uh, let's get him re back in the squad so everyone knows who. He is. I don't know if he'll play that much this break, but I no. think he'll be a fixture in the England squad for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's like hi guys, meet my favourite player yeah. ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what's happened. So. Moving back, to focusing on the on the question from Luke and and sort of the three new faces. Obviously, Dunk has now been called up, but yeah. at the time it was these three young, all of them under twenty two, yeah. um, the first two thousand ball player ever in an England squad in Sancho. In, in terms of like an order of of who's going to make the biggest waves in this international break of those three. The other thing with this is that you've. <laughs> You want to avoid getting have developing a bottleneck situation because there's so many young players already that need experience, such as Rashford. Yeah. And one of the most striking things about this conversation is because of the manner in which the season's panned out, we haven't talked about Ruben Loftus Cheek at all. Yeah. Because obviously he made that decision to set Chelsea, hasn't played, and now he's yeah. like. And and he's another of Gareth Southgate's favourite ever exactly. players. Exactly. That's why he was initially yeah. in the World Cup. But um, but and again, someone that we didn't mention earlier is. Ross Barkley's come in, yeah. actually. Yeah. So and he can it, play in that midfield three. So it just, as boring as it sounds, it'd be probably more exciting for the for the future yeah. for England's success for the future if you just saw uh, more experience given to like the players we've just mentioned. Then, um, but to actually address the question, James Madison would probably it seems 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 to be. I, I think Mason Mount. This is maybe just a, a question of bringing him in in game experience travelling with the England squad yeah. more than more than actually getting him minutes on the pitch I don't I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't play at all yeah. um, same maybe for Jaden Sancho I, I, again uh, these are just Madison is like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think Jaden Sancho Madison's, gonna, I think he's going to play I think he'll come the, off for 10 minutes the, something the thing is that, and again this was just a report that I read about when, when it was breaking that Sancho was in the squad was the fact that it was his assist against Monaco and yeah. his performance in the fact that he started two Champions League games where they were like, okay, we, he's the same age, I think maybe slightly younger of when Rashford was first introduced yeah. into the squad and Rashford scored on his debut and has been sort I, of I, a... I think that the Champions League assisting against Monaco, you have to take him seriously when a player can do... Because the thing is, what he's done in the Bundesliga is very good, but basically... Not to diminish it, but he's come on and crossed the ball very well. Done some very good cut. Oh yeah, it's, you know. It's, so it, it's been it shows his talent. Yeah, but it's, but it, it's, it's the nature of a of a. All of those games, Dortmund have been behind or, yeah. or chasing. It's, it's, it's been in that there've been some very clutch assists, but by and large, it's been one thing, and that's not. You look at that, and you think, how's he going to play in the England team doing that? England don't play with wingers. The the Bonaco thing, he was in the middle of the pitch, and it was a very very deft little pass through the lines of defence that, that put, set the goal up, and I think. I can understand why they look at that and think, oh, oh, yeah, no, we've got to call this guy up now. We've got to try him at least. Because that, that, that's, that's serious business to be able to do that at that, at that age in that sort although, of... Although Monaco are bad. Monaco, <laughs> no, Monaco are bad. Monaco no, are not. No, no, I don't know what they were, but it's just, it's just the, the, the intelligence and the awareness and the ability, the confidence to do that at that age is something that very few players have. And I think that... I could totally buy that. If that they, they saw that, yeah, like, that okay, the, now we have to call that, him up. He was going to be under 21s in the net, but... Yeah. But even then, I think... Given the 
the sort of love-in for those three players and, and talking about England that much, that's all we've actually got time for this week <laughs> on the Squawker Talker. So it's great. Two parts. First part, looking back. First part, looking forward to England. So Second that's good. Part looking forward. Second part, even. <laughs> Too many parts to talk about. So we will end it there. So will, thanks for coming on and talking about eight different parts. You're welcome. Glad I played my part. Yeah, there you go. And Mo, thanks again for coming on. Multi-part episodes of uh, TV, <laughs> yeah, TV dramas are the best stuff. Remember the X-Men animated series back in the day? There Good we stuff. go. That's a hat-trick of popular culture references from Mo there. To and he's completed, he's with, completed so. the Squawker Talker bingo! So <laughs> well, yeah, make sure you join us next week to work out Mo's secret task. <laughs>